growing up, there wasn't a space for me to say, like, I want to be a photographer. Because quite honestly, I wouldn't, I mean, thinking about, like, my grandmother and my mom and, and, and the people that raised me, they didn't know any photographers that, like, <laughs> that made a living, right? Yeah. They just didn't. They knew teachers, they knew doctors, they knew lawyers, they knew engineers. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. As artists, there is a need to express ourselves freely. And when we discover that we have a message, a perspective, a viewpoint, that need magnifies. Many times, our friends or family may not understand that need to be expressive. And sometimes the industry we're in may not value the ideas we have. But we do it anyway. We break the mold that was created for us by people that don't understand us fully. Our guest today believes in the magic of photography. He believes that a photo has the ability to inspire compassion, especially if the photographer made the image with love. This is the principle he lives by. His photography inspires people to broaden their perspectives about places and communities they may be unfamiliar with and encourages an appreciation of the beauty in the subtle, familiar, and mundane aspects of everyday life. He is a Fujifilm X photographer, and his work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Huffington Post. His work is also featured in several exhibitions across Europe, the Caribbean, and the Americas. Kurth Bob, welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. How you feeling out there, bro? feeling great that that intro had an energy i'm feeling ah. even better <laughs> there you go there you go man gotta kick it off with some energy man wake people up i appreciate that yeah, man how you feeling i'm great man um currently sitting in dc looking out the window watching it rain uh not exactly my ideal weather but you know we give thanks anyway indeed 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 man so you, you're in dc yeah i'm in dc um I, I live in D.C. now. Um, I've been in this, I guess, the DMV area for about over 20 years. I stopped counting after 20. Okay. I'm, or, I'm originally from Guyana, South America. Okay. Uh, you know, English-speaking, only English-speaking country on the continent, uh, geographically South American, culturally Caribbean. Um, and I came here when I was a teenager, went to college, started a career, and now D.C. is home. But I spend a lot of my time in the Caribbean, right? Like, D.C. is like home-ish, home-home for me. It's like really hot. Um, it's really hot. Everything's just really hot and really sunny. Mm-hmm. So I always I always love when people, um, when a guest on the show, like, give me the sort of like the life history in like three sentences. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh, uh, my family's from Guyana. I moved here when I was 13, 
I started a career and here I am. I'm like, all right. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like nice little details in it. I definitely want to unpack. You know what I mean? So yeah. Wait, wait. You said Ghana. You're, no, you're I say Ghana. Ga- I say Guyana. Yeah. Wait. Are you? Where are you? Uh, where are your peoples from? Here? Uh, I'm American, born African. Okay. Okay. So cool. I don't know where my I don't know where my family's from, but I did live in Ghana for eight months. Okay. You know. Okay. So I, and I, I think, think I remember I remember reading that about you. Yeah, something yeah. about Ghana. A lot of people think I'm I'm Ghanaian. One, because, you know, just the way I look, I, I definitely feel like I'm West African. But the time that I spent in Ghana, made a lot of friends in Ghana, post photos in Ghana, so people naturally think that, you know, um, Ghanaian, you know? Yeah, for sure. I get it. So you consider yourself Afro-Guyanese, right? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I, I that, that's my culture, you know? Um, that's a part of who I am. I, I I think I look at myself more as just a human being, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I I try not to get a, a human being that practices the culture, mm-hmm. so to speak. Okay. You know? Yeah. So describe what it sounds like, you know, you have one foot in Guyana, one foot in the States, in D.C. Um, describe what it's like growing up with between those two different cultures. Well, you know, I, I would say I, I think I visited other places other than Guyana home for various reasons, right? I don't, I would visit more often when I had a loved one there. Mm-hmm. I don't have any loved ones there. It's just, it's just, you know, I went back home and it's like, man, what's, what's a place without your people? It's just yeah. a place. You know what I mean? It's not home. It's not home. Um, so, you know, I spend a lot of time just kind of island hopping and experiencing different parts of the Caribbean. And, you know, it, it's grounding. It's, it's, a, it's a different, like, on a fundamental level, it's a different understanding of time. You know what I mean? I had a conversation today with a buddy, and he's like, yo, what's a second? It's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Tick? Talk? I don't know. Like, He's like, no, it, it's, you know, when, when, when we think about how people experience time, you know, if you're, if you're, I don't know, a, a, I'm going to say a Christian and you believe like you live once and you die, boom. But if you're Hindu and you're like, oh, this is like one life out of a million, you know, your understanding of time is so different, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing I realized is that, you know, my, when I come to DC, I'm, I'm, I'm a different I'm a different person, so to speak, or I have to pull from different parts of me based on time. Everything is like now, now, now. It's very market-driven. Mm. When I go back to the Caribbean, you know, sometimes I have to catch myself. Where I would, I, I remember I was doing a project in Jamaica. I'm still doing it, and um, I showed up to the to the gig 15 minutes early. And at the time that we were supposed to start, my client said. I'll be there in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, chill, bro. Like, it's yeah. a different time. Like, yeah. people just move different, you know? And the, I, I appreciate that because it, it's more about life mm-hmm. and what you're doing with your time than, than maybe being efficient with your time or, like, you know, equating your time to money mm-hmm. or some, some other material thing. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the main difference for me. It's like a different pace, uh, different people, 
and it, you know, you feel at home. You know, you just feel at home. Yeah, you know, um, you said what's uh what's a place without your people, right? It's not, you know, it's like it's just a place, but home is where your loved ones are, your family is. Is is, is your family in DC? Yes. So my family, most of my family, um, my family is all over the place. Like my mom lives in one state. My dad lives in another state. I have siblings in different states. It's like that immigrant, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't come to a place like call home. We came to a place with like, and we just decided where we we were going to go, you know? Yeah. I think my longing for home and uh, spending time in, in the Caribbean is I didn't really have a choice. I didn't get to say, you know, even as a teenager, I want to live in America. I want to live in D.C. It's like my parents picked me up and brought me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so my, my core family, you know, I have three children, uh, an ex-wife, and like, that's my family. They're here in D.C., um, and then, of course, you know, the family that you, you, you make up along the way, right? The, the people who you meet just no, 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 we're not relatives, but over time, the love and the support and everything else, the sharing of, of our lives has made us family. So a lot of my family is here, you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, family is not just limited to blood. You know, you can actually pick and choose your family. And, you know, I'm actually, uh, I'm an only child. So okay. I understand that concept, you know, um, intimately. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I name my brothers and sisters, you know, by people that I vibe with, you know. So um, so that's very important. You know, being on this show or, or speaking with the amount of people that I've, speak, I've spoken with, you know, there are a lot of immigrant narratives in, mm-hmm. in, in um, within like black photographer stories, right? Whether you come from the continent, you come from the Caribbean, or you, or, or or with children of immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's always this. There's a, a similar narrative that I hear when it comes to um, parents and how they support their kids who want to <laughs> be in the arts, right? So. And sometimes I'm 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 pleasantly surprised when I hear a different narrative, right? But tell us what it was like. You know, uh, you're a photographer, right? You're doing your thing with photography, but how does your family view art and photography as a career, as a as a way of making a living? Jeez, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I'll be real with you. It took me a while to to own being an artist right mm-hmm. because like you probably heard in, in my household you know quote-unquote education was like the biggest thing it wasn't about expressing yourself it wasn't about it, 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 it was like how good could you do at these things doctor lawyer engineer so my formal education is in engineering um you know a very technical realm my, you know, my, my sister that I grew up with in the same household, she's a lawyer. She's a practicing lawyer. Now, I'm sure my sister could be like a Michelin star chef, right? But growing up, there wasn't really space for me to say, I want to be a photographer, right? And, and in, examining, in examining that fact of life, it's, it's, it, you know, it's become clear to me 
that my existence in the very place that I was born was because of the need for free labor. So like we just grew up thinking like, you, know, you just got to work really hard mm. and like these couple things and like you'll be it. No idea that just your mere existence was a lot more expensive than your job or your degrees, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in understanding that, it, it gave me courage to say, you know what? Yeah, I could do this thing. I could I could engineer like a, like a boss and I could photograph like a boss because I don't have to be one thing, you know? And as I look at, you know, your career, I've, I've read, I've read about you and, you know, photography, like, like we were discussing, discussing pre-show. It's like one of the, one of the threads, you know, you, 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 you have a podcast, you have these different ways of expressing yourself that is just Idris. And I think a lot of us are kind of waking up to that. So, you know, going back to your original question, growing up, there wasn't a space for me to say like, I want to be a photographer because quite honestly, I wouldn't, I mean, thinking about like my grandmother and my mom and, and, and the people that raised me, they didn't know any photographers They're like, that made a living, right? Yeah. They just didn't. They knew teachers, they knew doctors, they knew lawyers, they knew engineers. Um, so, you know, I think that this is why this platform is, is incredibly important because, you know, you have put together a... Um, uh, a collection of stories of people who, you know, now kids don't really have the excuse, like, I don't see any black photographers. Well, go check out Black Shutter Podcast. Hear all these stories of people just like you who are doing something, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, I didn't see a lot of people and that looked like me doing photography, or at least they weren't highlighted in the classes that I was I was taking you know I didn't take I didn't go to school to get a degree in photography um but when I decided to start taking photography a little more seriously you know I was signed up for continuing education classes and you know the instructors were always sharing photos of their favorite photographers and there was nobody that looked like me and they weren't you, you know I I felt like that was problematic um so this exists to be able to tell multiple stories like every everybody has a story and every black photographer has a story that's unique to them and the reason why i always ask about family is because there's some there's some young photographer out there whose parents are like lawyers and doctors and engineers and if you bring art into the household excuse me you bring art into the household as a uh, oh i'm gonna be an artist i'm gonna be a photographer they might be looked at sideways or they may be ostracized by their parents. So uh, I always want to hear people speak about the dynamic of art in their household so that this story can resonate with a young person who's challenged with convincing their parents or their siblings or whoever that they want to pursue this kind of a career. You know what I mean? Because everybody's not supported in the same way. Sometimes um, it's a challenge photography is expensive you know we're just doing our taxes and i'm looking at how much i spent (laughs) on on gear last year i'm just like lord like when you when you're buying lenses that are more expensive than a camera you know it's like 
Yeah, it's is it's you know it's an expensive career. So, it is, it is, but but so is so is lawyering, right? Mm-hmm. I, I bet you, I bet you that 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 ring up from B and H or Amazon or whoever you know ships you the nice packages, it can't touch my sister's student loan hmm. bills for, for yeah. her. You know, it's like, yeah. look, it's um, it's all expensive. Yeah, but I think the the the, the flip side is. Can we get to a place of a culture where you know we value our own expressions as much as the paths that we've been taught to like express ourselves, right? Um, I think where art comes in is you know art is just raw human expression, any way you look at it, right? Someone having something in them and saying like, this is how I want to like bring this thing into the world, whether it's a sound or something visual, I'm going to have it interact with different people with their senses, right? Mm -hmm. And it's expression, and we call it art. I I think, you know, for that young kid out there, you know, who, shoot, man, may not even have space to express themselves, right? In some way, like, I think of of the way that I was raised where... um, there were like ways of doing things, but no one ever quite questioned why. Hmm. You know? Yeah. And as as I've as I've lived, I'm like, that don't make no sense, yo. Why? Yeah. I'm not doing that no more. <laughs> yeah, we have to challenge what you know, challenge what's been done, you know. Like sometimes we do things by tradition without really understanding why it originated. And sometimes it originates during a time where there was no other option, right? And yeah. if we keep doing the same thing for years and years, decades and decades, passing it down to our children without questioning why, you'll yeah. find out that you're doing something outdated and you could be doing it much better now, right? And and beyond that, I think, you know, the, the origin of, of why we do the things that we do, sometimes the origin, you know, you go back to the origin stories of, of why we are the way that we are and then you realize that it wasn't meant to serve us, right? You know, I, I grew up in, in a pretty kind of religious household uh, where, you know, Christianity was it. And, you know, the, the, the main idea around going to church was you got to suffer here so that you can die and, like, go live good there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, like, as I got older, I was like, how do that make sense? It's like, yeah. oh. Like, why can I, so I why gotta, can I thrive now and thrive in, in afterlife? Yeah, like, why well, I got to wait for heaven, right? <laughs> like, why why do I have to wait to, like, enjoy bliss? Why do I have to struggle? And it's it's because, you know, in, in my opinion, it's, it, 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 it's a way of taking away one's power hmm. when you believe that the very life you live is, is worthless outside of suffering. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's that's so um, that's so familiar to the black experience that we have to have a life of suffering. You know, um, it's hard for me to watch a lot of black entertainment, black you know, black based movies, um, because there's always like this really heavy emotional thread to the story, and sometimes these stories end up feeling very beautiful. But um, it's still sometimes just like 
I don't always want to deal with heavy emotional things based on based on um the black experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I, I, I you know, I, I I paid close attention to the moment we're in, right? It's, and you know, we just went through 2019, um, 2020 pandemic. A lot of just quietness and stillness. And a lot of stories being told and like just more ears, right? And I, and I look at the work that quote unquote represents the black experience. And so much of it, I have to find a good way of saying this without like putting my foot in my mouth. But so much of it is not an original story, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a continuity of a story. It's a content, it's a continuity of this idea of struggle. It's a continuity of this idea of, um, desolation and pain. So, you know, in the work that I do, there's a seriousness around it because I think even to your point, not consuming a lot of quote unquote black media, you know, you see how, even our, our, the scope of our humanity is limited by the expressions that we are written in, we are photographed in, we are thought about in, right? Where it's like, to be black, you are, it, it's this very, sometimes could be this very monolithic idea where it's like, you know, all suffering, all pain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the photographers I, I, I admire dearly, Sheila Pree Bright, she did a project uh, called Suburbia, you know, and, you know, Sheila, Sheila's photographed some pretty heavy, heavy, impactful subjects. But the thing that stood out to me about this body of work that she produced was there's just black people living suburban life, uh -huh. right? Like waking up in a, in a nice house with family and, you know, I remember her telling the story of, of, trying to get that work supported and being told that well, that's not the black experience we're looking for. Exactly. That means that you're not looking for the reality you're looking for. You're looking to like fulfill a story and fulfill a prophecy and fulfill an idea. But the truth is like that story has ended, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, not only has it ended, but there's always been space to kind of create your own story. Um, so, you know, as, as I look at your, you know, some of the photographers you've chronicled, uh, or, or, or had on the podcast, it's good to see this, this, this great spectrum of diversity of black stories, um, full humanity, right? Full expression, every part of it and every part of it done in a way that is, uh, that is, um, Yeah, so I can't. The word I'm looking for here is uh, humanizing and dignifying. Mm -hmm. You know, so thank you, know, you for that, man. Yeah, thank yeah, you. for like, sure, for sure. This is, I mean, this is this is a community aspect of of the podcast is giving everybody a platform to tell their story, and and I I believe that there's a moment where most of us go from being average citizens right <laughs> to picking up a camera and becoming like superheroes yeah like, and that, sure. but we don't 
we don't always recognize how strong we are, how powerful we are, how insightful we are. We don't recognize that we have like this sixth sense with our vision, right? Seeing the unseen. We don't always realize that we have that power, but then one day something clicks and we realize that we do have a power with this camera, with this tool, this machine, right, that we use. And things change. Things change and the way we see the world changes and that is essentially what the Black Shutter is, is how we see the world and how we experience the world. So that's pretty much what it is. Um, yeah. Where, where did you attend school? And I went to when I when I came here when I when I came to the U.S. I went to um, a school in the University of Maryland system. Uh, it's it's on the eastern shore of Maryland, UMES. I went there for a year, and then I came home and I went to another HBCU, uh, uh, Bowie State University, and then for grad school, back to Maryland. Um, School, school, college was was kind of my my introduction to like black culture, right? Like black American culture. It's where you know I first heard like Chopped and music because I had like you know a homie who lived next door. He was from the south. It's it's the first time I heard uh, like Baltimore club music. Even though I lived in the DMV, I just never been to Baltimore. I didn't know that they partied with different music than people in DC party too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first time that I got like all a lot more texture in terms of what it means to be black. And it was a beautiful experience, man. It, it, it really opened up my eyes and really made me appreciate the culture uh, and, and just the brilliance that's in it, right? And, you know, they say American culture is black culture. Very much so. Um, very much so, I think. I think the, the the people of color in this country have gone to great lengths to earn the very right to express themselves. So when they do it, there's a bit of oomph in it, you know? It's not a trivial matter. Yeah, I mean, people of color, we give this country its color. You know 100%. what I mean? We make it colorful. And we make it colorful through our experiences, through our food, through our music. You know, through our art, through our expression, you know, yeah. we, we bring that color. And without it, yeah. without color, everything is bland, right? Yeah, no seasoning, right? No seasoning. <laughs> Salt, pepper, you know what I mean? Um, what did you, uh, you study when you were in school? I, I studied computer science, man. Ah, So okay. Yeah, I, uh, I, I thought I wanted to be a programmer. And then, I don't know, the, the idea of being locked behind a screen, just writing code to make something magically happen, mm-hmm. it didn't fit with me. So I pivoted and I got into network engineering, okay. more system stuff, more, more disciplines, more technical disciplines where I could interact with people and like solve problems in real time, you know? Were you, um, were you interested in those, in those subjects or did you feel like, you know, the pressure from the, you know, being the child of immigrants that you had to go down one of those, one of those, those are sort of like, um, acceptable paths, right? Like engineering is always one of those paths where parents are like, Oh yeah, go ahead. Like they clap all the way for you. Right. Um, yeah. 
did you have an interest in those areas or do you feel like it was some I did. pressure? From I did. I did. I had a genuine interest. Um, I had a genuine interest and I was good at it. You know, I, I'm, I'm good at math and logic and I don't, I can't program anymore. I don't want to program anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm good at problem solving. So it's like, okay, I'm good at this. This will make the people happy. You know, one, two punch. Um, but again, as, as I got older, I just wanted to do my own thing. And then I got into photography when it was all digital. I, I probably shot quite a like, very few rolls of film. Um, but it was one of these things where, you know, I didn't really have to change my work environment much. You know, I would go out, shoot, come back to the computer, edit, open another window and do some engineering work. That's dope. Uh, so, you know, kind of having it, 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 it all kind of made sense. And, and photography is problem solving, right? Like every frame or every scene you approach it, you have your problems inherit, whether it be light, composition, or the lack of a moment, there's a problem, and you got to sit there and solve it so that you can walk away with a, with a photograph that's a solution to, like, the scene, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it in my head, it all makes sense. I know people, I have friends that are like, yo, how do you, like, how do you split your brain like that? I'm like, I don't know. It just works. I mean, it's interesting um, that you have an engineering background, um, the, you know, because that makes me think you're probably really good technical aspects of, of photography. You know, it's it's funny. I, I could be if I wanted to, right? <laughs> I, I, um, I think I'm technically sound. I, I, I my, <laughs> I'm not a perfect, like, you know, if my lighting is off, it's because... Sometimes lighting is off. I try to kind of loosen my grip on my photographic practice mm-hmm. and not make it so sterile. Yeah. Right? It's it's not it's not binary. It's not on off. Sometimes it could be in between. Sometimes it could be all the way off. You know, kind of because it, it. Then I'm just like you know a gear guy, and I'm, yeah. I I never want to be a gear guy. You know, I um, geez, I'm I'm the guy who I don't I don't I've never I probably go through. One percent of the menu settings in my camera. I need to know what I would like the basics of what I need. Mm-hmm. And if the situation presents itself where I need more tools to problem solve, I go Google how to how to do this with my camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. So I, I keep it light, man. So you know, on the flip side, I'm a I'm a art director, creative director. And for a long time, I've, I was using Photoshop, and I still use I, I use Photoshop every single day. And um, I remember when I was like doing these tutorial classes, and the instructor was like, "You know, you don't need to know everything about Photoshop. There's so many menu items, there's so many buttons to push. You you learn as much as you need to get the job done that's in front of you at the moment. And I think it's the same thing with photography." with with the camera right like we will there's so many buttons right and every cam, every new camera you get there's more buttons and there's more function and more functions and there's more secret menu items it's like all these secrets in the menus right <laughs> and um yeah but you know the the more we get proficient with this camera the more that we feel like there's something missing in how we're documenting an image like you want to be able to have 
even more control over certain aspects of how you document an image, then you'll learn those fine details in the camera within those menu items. And then, you know, that's how you build mastery, you know, is, is wanting to have as much control over the image as possible as you're making it, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I, I believe that photography hasn't... the the Like, the photographs we're seeing, the photographs we're making, it, it hasn't quite... They haven't quite caught up to the technology that's available, right? Um, it, it's... You can make the same photograph with a 2021 camera that you could, a camera that was made in the 50s, um, I mean, within within cer- certain you know parameters, right? But I imagine a time when photography is just going to be like revolutionized and actually caught up to the technology that's available, um, because you know I think sometimes I have this thing with aesthetics, right? Where um, I think aesthetics are problematic at times. Because they, they, case in point, um, I'm, I'm like a lot of black photographers, we, we, we're now getting calls from places that we never did before, right? Um, or we were getting calls from places we never gotten calls before. And, you know, a photo editor, art director may say, can you shoot it like this? This is the look we're going for. And their prerogative, but it's all, it's, I think sometimes as a creative, we have to take that risk and say, you know what, we're going to break away. I'm going to do the job, but I'm also going to break away from the aesthetic and show you an expression that you may have never experienced before because this is my voice. We've never done this before, right? Like this is our first time communicating using my photographs and your idea. Mm-hmm. And you think you want it this way, but here's a different idea. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I get kind of not grumpy, but I, I look at some of the aesthetics <laughs> and, the, and the, it's, it's not grumpy. It's just like, it's, it's my way. I look at something. I'm the first thing I ask is why? Yeah. So, you know, I look at, I look at major magazine covers. I look at, you know, photographers who are um, prominent and sometimes there is this sameness, this, this, uh, it's glued to an aesthetic or a look. I'm I like, get what you're saying. It's safe. I'm like, it's it's it, it, it's safe, and and for me, it's like, man, that's that's not your expression, or I doubt that that's the way you really express yourself. Um, and I, you know, I've 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 worked in in, I like to say I'm genre agnostic, right? I'm I'm not a wedding photographer. I'm not a portrait photographer. I'm not like this and not that. Those things are all jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all jobs. And, you know, I have the same sense of sensitivity around the photograph and the frame in the streets as I do at someone's wedding, as I do on a commercial shoot. Because for me, it's just, it's the same thing. It's the same expression. So people are like, well, how, you know, what's your wedding style? I'm like, there is no style. Yeah. It's, the same, it's the same thing. I'm just doing it in a different place. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, identifying what your style is because 
always always ask people the question like so where's the line between you know finding your style like as far as how you choose to photograph how you choose to compose and things like that even like in your retouching right how you choose mm -hmm. to edit your images versus uh, and finding your style which is like something that is easily identifiable as like yo that's a kurth bob image right that's an idris solomon image like i i could see it before I, I know it before i see the name right um what's the difference between having a style and being a one-trick pony where you just keep doing the same thing over and over mm -hmm. and you can do it with your eyes closed but there's something recognizable about it like how do you you know where's the line between between that I think being a one-trick pony is a style. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, uh, I, I, um, if I if I were to say what I would want my style to to like, what's a current wild photo? I, I, it just has to be authentic. Um, it has to be the full expression of what I felt inside represented in a photograph right and there's there's this magical thing that happens that i know that if i make a photograph and it's like yo like everything is in that frame all of me the messiness the clutter or like the zen whatever whatever it is i'm feeling it's like there and it connects to another person and they feel it too i'm like okay i gotta keep doing that whatever that is i gotta keep doing it and that isn't necessarily a lighting style or a technical approach it's more so expressing myself as freely as possible in that moment, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, sometimes I, I, I go to gigs and I have a whole plan and I do the plan for two minutes and I'm like, yo, it's stupid. I want to do something else. I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored. Like I already, like I went through, I know how this feels because I went through the motions of planning it. I want a new feeling, mm. you know? I went through the motions of planning it. I sat there, I... I visualizing it's like no like there's something else and and that's when i find i create my best work you know the the, the 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 times where it's strictly intuitive and it's just a feeling right and it's a feeling that right behind that feeling is some fear because it's like oh you never done that before really you don't do that now but eventually you realize that you, you kind of have a perfect record when you kind of go off the you know go off script um well, yeah, we so, pl we plan we we plan so that we you know sort of go through the motions of what what it will feel like to have a quote unquote successful you know um, photography day photography session or you think through all the things that could go wrong or there's something that you missed in your last assignment that you want to improve on on your, your current assignment, right? So you do the research and everything. So planning puts us in a position to like either go through our head, go through the checklist in our head of like what we need to do differently this time versus what we yeah. did last time, you know? And, you know, we get there, we might have this whole plan, this two, three page spread plan, and then you just crumple it up, throw it in the garbage and just go for your instinct. But that planning yeah. is still in your head, you know? Oh, the planning is still necessary. I think planning and preparation are two of the key ingredients to creativity, right? Because if you just create yourself so much space. Yes. If you, you know, I pack my bag and I label all my gear. And when I go on a shoot, 
I know that I'm not digging for stuff. I know if I reach with my eyes closed and this part of the bag, the thing is there. Yeah. And that allows me space to be creative because I'm like, I've solved all these potential problems way ahead of time. Yeah, and you, now I can play. Yeah, you could be a lot more free in your creativity because you've you've prepared yourself to that point where you, you're comfortable enough yeah. to, to, to be free. You yeah, know. and when you preparate, yeah, absolutely. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. So, you know, is is you know, I'm looking at your work now and I'm hearing you talk about your process of of being expressive. Um, but what happened between like going to school for engineering and then picking up a camera and becoming a professional photographer? Like Oh man. What what, what where was that transition in your life? So, so a lot of life happened. I I give you the cliff notes version, right? Perfect. Um I became intimately aware of the power of photographs when all that I had left of the person that, you know, I I used to say that I loved the most, but I really loved, I really learned and and experienced love and understood love through my relationship with this person, you know, Mm -hmm. my grandmother, uh, she passed away unexpectedly, kind of. And the last thing I had that was kind of, that was proof of evidence of her existence and the existence of our relationship was a photograph. Mm. You know, so now I have children and they see this photograph and now I can, I can, I can add story. I can, I can tell them about the people they come from. Um, I could tell them that their existence here, you know, they didn't just wake up and they didn't just become Kurt's children, like they come from a lineage of people. They come from a lineage of people who were strong and and and, and like superheroes. They come from a lineage of superheroes. Mm-hmm. I have that photograph to remind me of that. Um, and it clicked once I had that life experience that you know, as I was making photographs at that point, I was just doing a lot of weddings. You know, I like to say <laughs> everyone's a photographer until they got a photograph of a wedding. You know, there's it's no pressure, like real man. talk. It's a lot of pressure. Real talk. It's it's a lot of pressure, right? Because you know you're dealing with the stories of human beings. Imagine if uh, you know one of these great artists that was commissioned to do uh, like artwork of I don't know, let's say the Mona Lisa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, imagine if he messed that up, just, 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 just didn't, didn't deliver. That's how it feels. That's the pressure that comes with a wedding, right? It's like, you know, here are two people, their families, more than likely who have decided that out of all the families in the world, all the people in the world, like I'm choosing you to build more life with, Yep. and you get a chance to imagine if you were like, um, you know, just a scribe, you got to write that, you know, 
describe what was happening. Imagine if you missed the page, right? Yeah. And that book now goes to the people who come after those people who are joining and doing this thing. Then you just missed the whole page, bro. Like, what happened? So that's the pressure that comes with doing weddings. And I realized after having that experience in my life that, that, that kind of just like, yo, photographs are so important. Um, I realized that that's what I was doing at weddings. And it, 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 it essentially, it, it jumped me and it made me want to just learn more about the craft. And I don't not only the craft, but more about people, right? Because there's this, um, there's this, there's this, there could sometimes be this perception that, um, I'll just go out and say it, like, black people only know black people, or black people only understand black people, white people only understand white people. But when I really sat down and I thought about it from a very basic level, right, and you see that in, in how opportunities are siloed, right? A lot of black photographers I know are just being called to photograph black people. And I'm like, no, that don't make no sense, because that dude cried just like that dude, and he laughs just like him. So they all respond to the same basic human cues and they all express themselves in very similar ways. Um, it's bigger than just, uh, I lost my train of thought here. I lost my train of thought, dude. I'm rambling. Comparing, you know, black and white experiences, human emotions, things like that. Yeah. You know, like when I had the experience, I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing for every, this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm preserving people, member, people's memory. Then it became simple. I was like, I go, I go to a place. People are like, what do you photograph? And you photograph a wedding. I don't really. I'll be, I'll be blunt with you. I, I don't care about a lot of things at weddings, right? Um, the most important thing is the most important thing to my client. And a lot of ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, when I chat with someone, the most important thing is the relationships. And that's what I, that's what I photograph relationships because. That's, that's where our stories are built up, right? Just a bunch of relationships. So the relationship with your, your grandmother, right? It sounds mm -hmm. like when she was alive, you two had a really strong relationship. And when you saw the photo of her, you know, that reminds you constantly of how powerful that relationship was with your grandmother, right? So what what happened that made you look at this photo, hold this photo in your hand, and go from just being reminded of your relationship with your grandmother to deciding to make photos that can actually have that same memory for other people when they hold photos of, of, of their family members. Like, how did you, know, you go into being inspired it, 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 by your grandmother to actually making photos? Well, you know, she lived her life very much uh, the way I lived my life, she just did a lot of things. You know, she she was a jack of all trades. Um, but the the thing about that that particular photograph that jolted me to really want to study the craft more and study human beings more. That's where I was going with the whole idea of everyone kind of everyone's the same, right? Everyone cries when they're sad and they laugh when they're happy. Because in my study of just not only photography but human beings. Um, I remember that feeling of, man, I'm so glad, you know, 
this photograph was made for me. You get it? It's like that picture didn't just materialize out of nowhere. Like someone lined up the camera, set us up, and took a photograph of us. And I remember that feeling and that great of like, man, this is such a great gift. And I'm like, yo, if I could do this for people, this is me paying it forward. You know, where I, I photograph someone and they send me an email. Um, you know, I do some commercial work and the, the subject that I'm photographing are real people. And they send me messages like, oh my God, like, I know you were doing this for this project, but like, you really, like, I see myself in that photograph. I see so much of me. Or, you know, people might say, I see my mother in that photograph. I miss her. Because you, you never know what, actually, you, you, can, you can guess what a photograph is going to mean to someone else based on what it means to you. So sometimes I teach street photography workshops and I have, uh, it's like one ethical rule, right? If this person were to see the photograph you made of them, how would they feel? Right? Um, if, if I made a photograph of you and you were not at your proudest moment or in a moment that, that had you feeling, you know, depicted in a dignified way, when you see that photograph, you would feel undignified. So why would I make that? Why would I make a photograph to injure you? Mm. It's integrity. It's integrity. It's also compassion, right? Mm -hmm. It's also it's also this idea that like, just like me, you want to feel loved. You want to feel honored. You want to feel loved. Like you want to feel like, man, someone's looking out for me. And that's how I felt when that photograph was made. My grandmother and I, like, yo, the, the the person who made this photograph intentionally, unintentionally was looking out for my best interest. Mm. Didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope, man. I, I think as photographers, we make so many, especially with digital photography, we make so many images and, you know, um, but if we are putting a lot of care and, integrity and compassion and vulnerability, all of these different human emotions into, you know, the principle of how we actually make images, then we are doing that work for people without even knowing it. We don't know what our photos do for somebody else when we're not in the room, but we want our work to speak for us, to represent us. And if it's impacting somebody's life in a good way, that brings good memories to that person, and we we've done our job well, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, um, you you touched on this a little earlier that you know you're not job was it job agnostic? Uh, genre agnostic. Genre genre agnostic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and. I would agree. You know, I, I I look at your work and I see I see weddings, I see portraits, I see engagements, I see street photography, documentary. Like, you know, um, if you had to choose one, one lane, like which one would it be? Man, I want. <laughs> Yeah, I, know, I, I know that's kind of a silly question, right? Because it's still all like your expression. It's all how you see the yeah. world, right? But, but just, just you know, 
just to yeah, play along. Absolutely. Which one? I, I think if I were to choose a lane, um, it would be commercial and advertising. Okay. Because the the imagery that comes out of that space it shapes a lot of um, it shapes a lot of the world around us, right? It it, uh, it dictates to a great extent how we see ourselves, all of us. Um, it dictates how women see themselves, right? It dictates how people of any shape, form, or expression of humanity see themselves. It dictates how children see themselves, and you know, one of the one of the the, the the key parts of honoring your own existence is, is to be able to see yourself. And I think in the advertising and commercial world, you know, I often I remember I was in Italy and I was walking um, to the airport. I think I was in Florence's airport, and I was looking at these giant size, size billboards, right, of things that represented beauty and wealth. And I thought to myself, I was like, man, a child in a place that didn't have people that look like this, they would never think that they were capable of experiencing beauty and wealth and opulence. They simply don't see themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that, that that lane is the lane that has the greatest impact. It's also the lane, not surprisingly, that has the, the most, you know, barriers to entry for photographers of color. Yeah. Um, it also and, and is one that, of the most lucrative. It is, right? So everything lines up to, to, to make me realize that, like, huh, that's kind of like, that's the, the, the ivory tower of, of, um, of messaging and stories. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think one of your questions was around, um, initially when you, when you sent me, I think it was a questionnaire. Yeah. I think one of the things I talked about was, you know, being a photographer, like practicing photography is one thing. Um, but I'm also curious about like, who, who are the people, who are the art buyers, right? Who's making decisions on what is a good photograph for a message or a story? Yeah. Like, what are these people's backgrounds? Um, what life experiences have they had? Where do they come from? Why? <laughs> that same question again, like, like why? Um, I know a lot of a, a lot of talk has been had around, you know, just what do they call it? Body imagery, you know, um, retouching and, and and slimming slimming people and all these other things. And you then begin to question, like, man, like, huh, why wasn't that person good enough? I mean, I retouch my images, but these are questions I ask myself, right? And that's because somewhere along the way, someone said that this is what it should look like for it to be high quality. Yeah. You know, on a, on an earlier on an earlier episode, um, I was speaking with uh, Nasca Domini, a Canadian portrait photographer portrait photographer, I think he's based in uh, Toronto, and mm-hmm. he says something dope about... Um, West Indian, dude. Yeah, yeah. West Indian, mm-hmm. Canadian. And mm-hmm. he says something dope about <clears throat> uh, we need to reframe 
our lens so that we're not always considering, you know, white photographers as the masters of photography. Mm-hmm. You know, when we sit down to study photography, you know, it's always the same names mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the Irving Pens and the uh, Avedons and, uh, you know, all of these all of these white photographers. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. There's nothing wrong with the work that they created, right? <clears throat> but in 2021, there still there needs to be a lot more diversity as far as who's considered a master, a legend of photography. And if there's no black folks considered in that list, then that's problematic. You know, it's very problematic in 2021 because we're doing so much great work. And I think you also have to look at who's the students that are sitting in those chairs, you know, and it just needs to be a lot more diverse, you know. Yeah, it, it needs to be representative of reality, you know. Um, it needs to be representative of reality because otherwise it's just a narrative that someone is telling. And um, I think in terms of the masters of photography, I, you know, I went, I've, I've studied, I've, I've looked at work, I've, yeah, I've taken it all in, um, but I've also let go of a lot of it. Because, man, I'm good enough. Like, I'm, I'm like, it, it's weird, you know. <laughs> it, 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 it's not weird. It's, it's, um, it's everyone's right to say, so what? So what that this thing was created this way, right? Mm-hmm. Not, it's not always easy, especially working in a commercial place where, you know, you have market forces that dictate. But I think as artists, you know, it, it's important to say, like, Why? Why do I make, like, why? And, you know, one thing I, I realized about a lot of these masters um, and, and great artists, I, was, I read an article a few months ago that basically chronicled the lives of a lot of white men who were famous artists, right? And you come to realize that these guys were literally from privileged backgrounds. And you start to see the, the connection. They were never really starving artists. Or, or you start to see like, oh, this is just another facet of like the great American game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just manifested in art or photography. So I look at some of those guys and I'm like, okay, that's nice. I'm glad, like, wow, beautiful. But then so what? And I think if you continue to, to judge work and, and um, you know, photo, photo editors continue to judge work and, and, and rate work based on ideas that are long gone, we, we end up stuck. You know, someone said to me one time, they're like, oh my gosh, you're channeling Brasson in so many of your street photography. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Like I never met him. Like I just, I, I just, I just have my experiences in life, and this is how I express myself. Like, okay, cool, thanks. You know, it, it, it was, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, compar- it's, it's, it's comparison we do that that's almost natural. Exactly. That, that's like, eh, what? so, so yeah, right. So, so Brasson is is I guess um, classified as like 
the street photographer, right? Like the decisive moment, all of that. And it's like, but you know, there are people who are picking up the camera who've never heard of him and something clicks naturally within them to make the images that they make that's not related to, you know, Brisson. Um So that's almost like taking away their natural instinct, their natural um, mode of expression, you know? And I think to always ladder things up to, you know, um, channeling one of the, the quote-unquote white legends or white masters takes away... It you know it, it I want to be careful right because there are people who were in the craft long before a lot of before it was popular and a lot of experimentation went into you know learning studying the craft and, and experimenting and a lot of that leads to the technology advances that we have right so I get that part but I think when it comes down to bare expression you know we. It's important to, to to recognize that we also have a lived experience as as black people, as people of color, that we are gonna see the world a specific way, you know, and that's how we choose to document it, you know. And you know, Gordon Parks is hands down one of the greatest photographers ever. You know? Yeah. And for him to, you know, you, you go into certain photography programs and for his name to not be mentioned or for him to not even be considered as one of the legends of photography, you know, is is disrespectful. Yeah, it, it's... It, disrespectful is such a, like a small word to describe what it is, right? <laughs> um, it is what it is. It's... And I think, like, I keep going back to the importance of a platform like this. This is why these platforms are important, right? This is why we need what I like to call credible witnesses to life and, like, our stories um, that are kind of, like, independent of the pleasures of aesthetics. I think you need more people saying, hey, look over here. Look at this. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, so, yeah, man, you know, it, it's we, we live in a very complex but yet simple world. And as I raised young children, you know, I have, I have two young daughters, three and five. I was driving the other day, and some of the things my children say to me, I'm like, these kids are geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> right? You have children? Yeah. I got a, I have a boy, six years old. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing I was like, man, how many more geniuses would we have in our society, like recognizable geniuses? in our society if we lived in a world that didn't seek the mold and just let people express themselves and not only let them express themselves, but like respected everyone's expression, right? Everyone's way of dress, everyone's way of speaking. I, I, I grew up in a culture where I had to speak the quote unquote Queen's English, hmm. right? Um, our, our dialect, which is Creolese, um, just wasn't acceptable. Like you couldn't speak Creolese in school where you went to learn. So you're essentially saying that this thing that I this thing that I, I do and my friends do and we do when we are 
amongst ourselves isn't it's good enough. Yeah, it's wrong. You know, and it goes back to this idea of like full expression and free expression. Um, now, look, I'll be 100% honest with you. There's some expression that may make me recoil or make me like, Ugh, like Ugh. you know, I still catch myself in that space where I'm judging or applying judgment to someone else's expression. Um, but would I ever stop it? No. Would I ever deem it as, label it as right or wrong, good or bad? No. Because it's somebody else's expression. Yeah. I don't truly know where that came from. So, hmm. yeah, man. Um, good old photograph. <laughs> good old photograph. Yeah, you said it. It's, it's Photography is complex and it's simple at the same time, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, like life. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly, that's essentially what we're doing is documenting life, you know? Yeah. So, you know, um, you are a Fuji X photographer, right? Yes, I am. Um, you know, so speak about that a little bit. Like, what is, what is a Fuji X photographer? And, um, yeah, let's, let's start there. What is that? What is that? <laughs> what is that? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that question specifically, <laughs> but I can tell you how I got that, how I linked up with Fuji, essentially. So, okay. That works. Uh, for, for years, you know, I've, I've always made photographs, and um, I'm kind of a creature of habit. Like, if I find an instrument that works, I just use it until it doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I use Fuji cameras, so a lot of my street photography work has uh, been made with Fuji cameras. And, you know, ex-photographer, I'd like to say ambassadorship. What I, th what, what I found it to be is um, it's more community, right? You, you, it, it's a very diverse group of creators, image makers, and just like really dope human beings who, you know, camera companies said, you know what, your images are aligned with our ethos and how we think image making should be done. But the thing about it is because of the diverse set of photographers in, in the group, um, you get to see how these various expressions are, are appreciated by Fujifilm. Um, that's about the extent of it, man. You know, I, I use their I, I use their gear and, and their you know their equipment for a variety of reasons. I mean, I, I love their color science. You know, I, what I what I what I get in the visual images is is very close to what I see with my bare eyes. You know, mm. um, just the the fact that they took time to create a color science and, and master a color science that honors a wide, wider spectrum of humanity than most camera companies do because I shot other brands over the years and mm -hmm. I've always had like, man, like my skin tones just look weird. <laughs> it's not how people look. Um, it, 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 it's like, yeah, I can, I can get down with that. You know, I can get down with a company like Fuji and just philosophically, you know, their whole thing is Kaizen, constant improvement. And I think as humans, that, that, that should be our role. Like, that should be our thing. We could, we could do better. Wake up every day like, I could do better than yesterday. Yes, I can. 
Let's go have a day. It's dope. Um, so it sounds like Fuji has done the work to instill in their cameras an aesthetic that matches your vision of the world. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. What has that um what has that opportunity done for you? Has it um has it opened some doors for you, brought you some new opportunities, new connections? Um Yeah, like I said, it's community, right? Um the the Fuji ex photographer this cohort, you know, they're they're photographers that I'm just quote unquote discovering, like, oh snap. Like your work blew my mind. <laughs> um there there's, you know, like Nina Robinson, for example. Um I became aware of her work through the ex photographer community. And as I delved, delved deeper, I'm like, man, because, you know, when, when, when I look at another photographer's work, I feel like I'm, I'm depending on who it is, I'm, I'm, I'm almost having like a year's worth of drinks with them and really getting an understanding of what makes them tick and what's important to them. So it's definitely, exposed, it, it is the ex-photographer program has definitely exposed me to um, just different different people, different ways of seeing the world through the lenses of some of my cohort members. Uh, yeah. I mean, the people, like the people that over at Fuji are like just really amazing people. That's dope. So, it yeah. sounds like you, the same way you look at your, the members of your cohort and you're inspired by their work and you're discovering them. Um, you're doing. You're providing the same discovery for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, Michael McCoy, who's been on your podcast. Oh yeah, that's the homie. I, yeah, you know, I know Michael from DC. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I, I, Michael, Michael, Michael's work is Michael. Mm-hmm. Like you know it when you are, see it. Yeah, those are like in every frame. I can, I can, I see Michael because, you know, Michael has told me parts of the story, uh, where he's from, where he's been, where he's going. And I look at his work and I'm like, that's Michael. Mm-hmm. Not, 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 a, not a matter of style, but it's like, you know, I see this dude, I see him in his work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so with, you know, you, you do wedding photography, engagement photography. So you have like, you go out there, do your own marketing, get your own clientele in that base. Um, you have the Fuji X opportunity as well. Um, what are some ways that you get clients? <laughs> Man. Because <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it's different for everybody in different aspects of photography, right? Photojournalists sort of rely on editors to like meeting as many editors as possible. Editors find photographers that they like working with and they keep hiring them, right? Um, some yeah. people have um, reps and agents who go out there and, and fish for clients to come back. You know, um, what's your process like? My process, I, I wing it. <laughs> I do, you know, I think of it this way, man. I do really good work for one person and that person goes and tells someone else. Mm-hmm. 
and I do really good or they show the work and someone else comes and I do really good work for that person. It's, it's, uh, you know, I've done one or two portfolio reviews, uh, but it's mostly my relationships, the people that I've met and I've connected to, and we've decided that, you know what, we're going to work together in this capacity and build. Um, so I get, I got, I get a lot of my work through relationships. I do wish I had agency rep because, uh, there is, there is a way of, there is like a way of getting work. Like I said, I'm winging it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, as, as, as a lot of, a lot more opportunities came, you know, our way collectively this, in this season, I've had to learn pricing and negotiation and kind of like be my own agent in a lot of ways, make a lot of mistakes. And I just wish that there were a lot more agencies in places who um, were bringing us to market, so to speak, right? Photographers of color. I, yeah. So I get work by winging it. And I see the value of having an agent, mm-hmm. agent, agent rep. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, they just have this, they have this understanding of how to price for, for a project in ways that as an individual, we're not thinking of all the time. You know, like they, they charge, you look at the, um, the sheet, you look at the the line items on the sheet, you know, and they they they're charging for um, lighting assistant, a digital tech, uh, hair makeup, catering, uh, retouchers, all like all of this extra stuff. So when you see the the price that they're charging clients, and you're just like, damn, I, I never would have charged that much as an individual. It's because we're still thinking about our photography as an individual. And not as like this is a team collaborative effort, you know. And in yeah. order to do the best job that I need to do, I need to focus on just the photography. So when you start like reps start um, making sure like that's all you focus on. So they'll have somebody that's carrying your bags. That's their job, carrying your bags, making sure your your gear is clean. And you know what lens you need next, so that you're, you're swapping it out without missing the. You beat. have support. You have support, you know, and that's yeah. like, that's the next level. That's the next level. It's, if you want to go that is. route, if you want to go that route, it is. Right? But um, and you know, the, 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 that is the next level. That is a, that is a level, right? Because I know a lot of photographers who don't have agency rep, agent rep, and they're doing just fine. For my life, though, I would prefer to spend a lot less time like having 20 thread emails before 8 a.m. about a project and more time spending with the kids or making pictures. Um, You know, and I'll say this too. I remember I was chatting with a photographer who's in New York, relatively successful dude. And he's like, yeah, you got to take their wedding stuff off your website. I'm like, why? Because, you know, like in the commercial world, they just want to like, they, they, they look different, you know, wedding photographers. And I considered it for a while. And I was like, you know, I really, I really, really, actually, I considered it for a while. I got divorced. And I was like, yo, F weddings. This is some bull. Like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> like straight up, like, eh, canceled, right? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I go back to that 
initial kind of click of a photograph for me where it was this proof of existence of this person that I loved and that introduced me to love and like, you know, is, is responsible for so much of who I am today. And I was like, man, that's where, like weddings are where those opportunities present themselves where, yo, out of the old people in the front row, like they're not going to be around for another 10 years. Huh. Make pictures of them. You know? Um, so I'm actually in the process of, I still take, I, I try to do like five to 10 weddings a year. Not a lot because my commercial practice has grown so much, but it, it's still that, um, you know, I do a job for, for a really big company. I send it off. They pick their images, the campaign launches, boom. May hear back from them relicensing, but I never get emails like, Hey, my dad died. And the photograph you took of him at our wedding was the best photograph. Can we get a print for the funeral? Right? That to me brings me back to that opportunity to create that feeling that someone that 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 that, that someone created for me when they took that photograph of my grandmother. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's me getting to re gift the gift over and over and over again. And uh yeah, you know, so I've, I've limited the scope, you know, I'm not doing a lot of weddings, but, and, you know, it has to be a great fit. So a lot of the, a lot of the people that hire me are, um, you know, are people who care about a lot of the same things I do. They don't really care about the kind of shoes they're wearing on the day, um, but their photograph of the auntie that flew across the, the world to come and see them do this thing, that's what they care about because that auntie raised them and there's like so much story and history and emotion and love there that having a photograph of that auntie one last time is like, you know, a little bit more extension of her, her presence and her life in their life. So it's, it's, it's truly, uh, you know, but then I go back and I'm like, man, some weekends I just don't want work. So that's why I've limited it um, and treated it more, I'm treating it more, uh, like I've, I've moved away from digitals. Like you have to get prints because when I sat and I thought about it, I was like, wait, I'm getting my house rebuilt now. And when I was moving out, yeah, I grabbed hard I grabbed like my working hard drives, but like what I really, really cherish were like printed pictures that I could mm. pick up and like put them in my new place that I'm kind of living in for six months, you know? Wow. Power of the image, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, and you, you, you will grab that photo album that spans back decades. You know, absolutely, you absolutely. Know. Because you know, we, we having an understanding of where you come from and who your people are, it, it, it informs so much of who you are and who you could be, if that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, man. So. Tell folks what can we expect from you in the near future. What's going on in your world? Man, listen, I wish I wish I wish folks could tell me what <laughs> to expect in my near future. Uh, just more goodness, you know, more 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 expression. Um, more, you know, one of the things I enjoy about working as a photographer is the community aspect of it. 
you know, um, helping other photographers out, you know, more, they can expect me to be more helpful. Um, you know, I'm the guy, if, if, if I'm doing something or I'm like, Hey, you want to do this thing I'm doing? I'll put you like, here's how I did it. Because it, it's, I just, it, it's re-gifting the gifts that you get. You know, I like to say the bless, bless. And I feel blessed. Mm. So I continue blessing people. Um, because people can continue blessing me. You know, this, it's a blessing to sit here and chat with you today. Um, you know, more, 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 more of my expression in advertising, corporate, and spaces that have wide visibility, right? Um, and that's it, just more. More of the same or better, as I, as I like to say. This is Kurt Bob, and you're tuned into the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.